Hi, I'm Misha Chakrabarty. Welcome to Dream Awakening, a podcast where we have authentic conversations with people living with purpose. This podcast is also available in Spanish as Despertando Sueños con Misha Chakrabarty. Today, we're joined by Trina Chakrabarty. Trina dreams of healing the world through music. Specifically, Trina dreams of working with teenagers in inpatient psychiatric care. She wants to provide a space for youth to feel listened to through facilitation of emotional expression using music therapy. Trina's sense of purpose in helping teenagers with their mental health and doing so through music came from her own personal experience. As a teenager, she struggled with depression and felt lost and alone in her plight. She didn't know about resources that could help her and didn't know of any others going through the same thing because depression was a taboo subject at the time. In her darkest moments, she found solace in music and the arts and she says they saved her. Trina wants adolescents to know that they have a myriad of resources available to them to help them with their mental and emotional health, from traditional therapy to music therapy and beyond. She believes in community and wants people to know that there are others grappling with the same challenges as them and that they're not alone. Trina is an accredited music therapist who is currently working on her master's thesis. During her master's, she, speci she specialized in child psychiatry and hopes to work in adolescent mental health care in the future. She is also a musician on her own time. She has achieved her grade 10 in voice with the Royal Conservatory of Music, writes her own songs, and plays a variety of instruments. She is currently working on a fiction novel that tackles the mental health struggles during the bridge from adolescence to adulthood. In her free time, she loves reading, baking, and dancing. Her new original song can be found on her YouTube channel, and I've also linked it in the description. In addition to all of the cool things that Trina has done and her beautiful personality that you'll get to experience in this episode, Trina is also my cousin. But by the end of this episode, I'm sure you'll all see that having her on this episode is not nepotism at all. As a personal note, I love all the beautiful music and dancing that you can see on Trina's YouTube channel. They truly bring me joy in the middle of this dark time that we're all living in. Without further ado, let's welcome Trina Chakravarti. Hi, Trina. How are you? How are you feeling today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm even, I have to say, it's kind of a cloudy, dreary day here, but seeing your wonderful, smiling face has really, has really brightened my day. So I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. Oh, I'm uh, flattered. Seeing your face brightens my day. I'm glad to be here. Oh, thank you. I have to say, I say this to like a lot of my guests because it's so true. Um, sometimes I feel like this podcast is really just an excuse for me to talk to people who I miss and I want to see. And I was just like, Trina, um, I want to talk about all your dreams, but really, I just want to talk to you. So come on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we need that. We need that in the time of COVID. Like when we can't see anyone in person and we got to take advantage of virtual communication. <laughs> That's that's what I'm saying. That that's we're on we're on the same page about that. Well, I kind of alluded to this already, so I'm just going to dive in, Trini, because you know us. Once we once we get started talking, there's there's no stopping us. So I'm just going to ask you point blank, Trina, what are your dreams? What are my dreams? Well, I have a lot of them. Um, I've it. always had a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, 
career-wise, um, as you know, I recently got certified in music therapy here in Canada, um, and I'm working towards my master's. So, I mean, my dream has always involved helping people in some way, um, and music has been a huge part of my life ever since I was young. Um, and you know, I write music, I write songs, and like they're very meaningful to me. But once I discovered the field of music therapy, I was like, wow, this is this is really something incredible. And I wanted to learn more about it. So my main dream is honestly to work in um, work with adolescents, um, specifically, and in adolescent music therapy, because as a teenager myself, I found it hard to sort of navigate mental health and the resources that were available regarding mental health, at least at the time, were few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, it can be really daunting to, uh, you know, go to a therapist for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I find that through music therapy, you know, you kind of have a bit of a buffer and that buffer is the music, you know? Um, music itself, is a huge communication tool and you can you know explore feelings you can explore emotions through music um so i find that like it's kind of a way to connect with teens and kids um where other methods might not always be as effective and of course people are different Mm. and people work differently with different things but yeah like the ultimate dream is honestly to work in um, adolescent psychiatry and just like help out teens that are struggling with their mental health through music therapy um so that's like number one (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. top tier goal top tier dream um but uh you know i would love to publish a book one day that's always been a dream of mine um It's funny, my original goal was to be published by the time I was 20, but I forgot, well, not forgot, I just, I was young and didn't realize that writing a book is a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Just that that little thing, publishing a book, you know. (laughs) Yeah, just just a little thing. Well, I think it's because when I was younger, I looked up to a lot of authors that published really young. Like, mm-hmm. one of my favorite authors as a kid was Christopher Paolini, who's I knew you were going to say him. Of Aragon, yeah. yeah. And he published at, like, age 15. And he I was did. like, I want to yeah. be that guy. Yep. No, I had the same feeling. I had the same feeling. Yep. <laughs> so, and it's just, like, kind of one of those things where, like, you have to realize, like, that's not everybody. And mm-hmm. if you publish later in life, or not at all, like, really... Um, however you pursue your dreams, whether they're public or private, like it's valid regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I stopped looking at my dreams as I need to accomplish this by this age and this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and more of a, I'd like to do this in my lifetime. And when mm-hmm. it happens, if it happens, I want to be proud of it and the best I can be. Cause you know, as a writer, when I was 15, I wasn't that great of a writer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and looking now, like I've improved a lot. So it's one of those things that like, you know, there's no time limit on these things. And, uh, um, you know, I, I'd love to publish one day, but, uh, I am okay with the fact that it wasn't by the time I turned 20 Mm -hmm. because 
Realistically, yeah. I mean, I did 11 extracurriculars. I don't know if Christopher Paolini did 11 extracurriculars. I don't but... think so. I think it was homeschooled. So he, there was, yeah. there was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Um, I, I, so music is like my first love. I mm-hmm. would love to uh, record an album one day. That's always been a big dream of mine. I would love to continue doing shows. I did a lot of musical theater growing up and even in university, but um, once grad school hit, obviously life got a little more hectic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I haven't done it in a while, but I do love it. So that's something I kind of want to continue with um, in my life and beyond Mm -hmm. my career. Um, But at the end of the day, I think like my major dream is like just happiness at the end of the day, that's mm. that's kind of what it is, you know. Um, I am someone who struggles with mental health, I especially when I was younger. And at the end of the day, if I'm happy, whatever that entails, career-wise, personal-wise, family-wise, like all I can really ask for has happiness. And that's kind mm. of where most of my dreams lie. Um, The things I want to do with my life are the things that make me happy. So that's kind of what's at the core of everything. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for sharing. I really, I really appreciate you kind of being here and opening up and um, you already kind of have opened the gateway to a lot of really um, beautiful things that I want to get into and I think are really valuable for for everyone listening and, and for me and just for the world. So um, I'm really looking forward to, to talking about all these things. Something that really struck me is just um, the level of self-awareness and also kind of the sense of purpose that you have around all, all these different dreams. Also kind of um, the fact that they're kind of very di- diverse and distinct in some ways, but also connected in other ways and they kind of inhabit kind of different areas of your life you have one that people might think of kind of as more obvious or in kind of a career space then you have some other that might be more kind of like hobbies some that are kind of more passion projects so um i think that um there are kind of a lot of a lot of the times when when we say when we talk about a dream people have a very specific idea of what that means so i love how just in your initial answer of kind of what your dreams are you kind of just showed how really dreams can mean a lot of different things and when it comes down to it you talked about like ultimately you just want to be happy and truly kind of anything that is a dream like you find fulfillment and this pure kind of joy in that so I think that that's like a a wonderful place to start um one of the places I want to want to start is kind of at the root of it all um because right now you clearly have a a sense of what makes you happy what brings you this kind of pure sense of joy and also what gives you a sense of purpose um and you kind of alluded to certain things about kind of growing up um but can you talk a little bit about your journey to understanding what things are important to you what things make you happy and how you how you arrived at that understanding yeah absolutely um so growing up, I was definitely very much a people pleaser. I, mm. uh, you know, 
I kind of, I always did things to sort of make other people happy rather than myself happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both of those things have their place. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it was one of those things where it took time for me to realize what am I actually doing because I want to do versus what am I doing because I think other people want me to do this thing, mm-hmm. you know? So um, yeah. I think as far as like sort of figuring out the things that truly made me happy, um, I, I I would say like seeds were planted probably when I was kind of in high school. But as far as really honing those seeds and pursuing them, that didn't really happen until later on in university. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is I, in high school, I knew I loved theater. I knew I loved dance. I knew I loved music. And I did all these things as extracurriculars, you know? I, I did every show that I could do. I did every coffee house, every talent show, every every sort of thing in the arts that I could possibly do. Um, but the thought of pursuing the arts as a career never really crossed my mind because, I mean, it was never talked about as really an option for a career, mm-hmm. you know? Like, when people talk about careers, it's like things that are practical and things mm-hmm. that um, can earn you money. And... Um, And I think that the definition of practical and the definition of what can earn you money have broadened a lot since then, you know, because practicality growing up seemed to be very kind of narrowly defined. Um, Whereas as I grew up, I realized that, you know, something that fulfills you is practical for you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So... So yeah, so in high school, it was just kind of these little seeds that were planted. I loved these things. I loved the arts. I loved um, participating in them, but I never thought of them as something that I could pursue as a career. Um, but I also had a passion for psychology, and that that is very true to this day. I do really have a passion for mental health, so like I was kind of going through this like, what do I do with my life kind of thing. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. as far as psychology goes, there are like a lot of different um, ways that you can pursue that. There's many different kinds of therapy now, but like the first thing that came to mind was psychiatry and med school was not on little Trina's <laughs> radar. Like little Trina did not want to go to med school no. and you have to do psychiatry. Like it's just, it's not for me. It's for some people. It just wasn't for me mm-hmm. like I I dreaded my biology classes like I dreaded dissections <laughs> I dreaded most things um that you kind of need to be comfortable with <laughs> to pursue a medical degree um so so I was kind of like having this battle between like pursuing what I love and pursuing what's safe but what's safe to society wasn't really safe to me because I knew it wouldn't be fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up applying to a few psychology programs for university. And I remember talking to a music teacher of mine, actually, who kind of knew I was going through this little battle. But like at the same time, I don't think he knew like how much it was kind of consuming my life at the time. Um, and he just like casually mentioned the term music therapy. Like it was 
super, super casual. He just, like, kind of was like, oh, like, have you heard of this thing? And, like, suddenly, like, my brain was just like, what? (laughs) This is a thing I can do. This exists. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, at the time, I had already applied to university and everything. And so, I don't know, I kind of, like... I tucked that away and I was like, I'm, I'm going to go look into this, but right now I'm just going to go off to school and do the psychology di- thing. And I did, I did for two years. Um, and I, you know, something was missing. It just like, you know, I knew something was missing. Um, so when I was in university, I started kind of exploring my extracurriculars again, um, but really honing on, on the ones that I love most. Like I mentioned that, Back in high school, I did about 11 extracurriculars, which is mm-hmm. wild. Like, it's it's truly wild. And I do that is in school and outside of school, but still, like, that's not a normal amount of things <laughs> a child does. Um, whereas at university, I, like, I was like, hey, what do I really, really love? Like, I won't have time to do this many activities, so I have to, like, pick what I really love. So, you know, I, I joined dance teams. I did theater and things like that. And, like those things just brought me so much more fulfillment than like anything else I was doing in university. Um, and the communities that you gain from those things, cause art is just as much creative as it is about building community. Um, and you know, when, when, when you're in university and in your first year, it can be very daunting and very lonely at times. So like to turn to the arts, to meet people and to kind of, find like-minded people and build that sense of community can be um, really fulfilling. So uh, I was noticing again, like my joy came from these things that were like hobbies rather than what I was supposed to be doing as a career. Um, And so then I kind of went back and looked into this term that two years ago was planted in my head, music therapy. And I was like, what is this? I want to learn more about it. Um, so I started doing some research, just like very general research on what it was and like different schools that offered it. And I just like really in general love the idea of, um, music kind of being a tool to help those realize goals, whether those be spiritual goals or emotional goals or physical goals. Like, I liked how person-centered it was. I liked that, you know, in a music therapy setting, you know, the client and the therapist, there's not as, like, yes, there's roles, but they work together to, you know, come to what the client needs most. And I just kind of loved that about it. And, you know, music was a big part of my life, so I knew personally how powerful it could be. So I wanted to learn more, like, from a scientific and therapeutic perspective, what it could do. So, you know, I I still finished my psychology degree, but what I ended up doing was switching schools as well so that I could um, take some music therapy classes in undergrad before pursuing it as a career. Um, And, like, all of a sudden, like, my world changed in that I was so much happier. Like I, once I transferred schools and like kind of had this new fire and this new purpose, um, just everything in my life kind of shifted, you know, like I, 
was still majoring in psychology, but the courses I took were very much more specific to what I wanted to do. They were very much more human-centered psychology courses and community-centered and, you know, I was taking music therapy classes, I was doing more activities that surrounded music, um, and I was reaching out to music therapy programs and music therapists and, like, wanting to learn from them. I started volunteering with a music therapist just to get as much knowledge as I could and just, like, my life just became so much more fulfilling because I had so much more to look forward to in every day rather than feeling like the things I was doing daily were like a chore that I had to get through to get to that little bit of music at my end of mm. my day, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a long journey, but I think uh, it was definitely worth it and something that I'm glad I was sort of patient with. Um, but all I had to say was like, you know, like, those little seeds that were kind of planted early on, like it's important to remember those and then revisit them later when you think you're in that kind of a rut. Mm -hmm. That's, that's beautiful. Um, I love that. I think there are so, there's so many things that you brought up that I think um, are so universal and I, I've definitely felt those in my experience. Um, like you said, kind of this journey I don't think it's straight and narrow for anyone. I think that, you know, we live in this social media world where it's easy to think that, oh, this is so so simple for this one person, but you're not seeing all the things that happen below the surface. So I think for everyone, the road is kind of long and windy and it's hard to see how things are connected. Um, There's so many things that you said that I really want to get into. One of them is kind of the last thing that you talked about, kind of just the big kind of immediate cathartic shift that you feel when you finally start um, living your life authentically, whether it's kind of doing this thing that you've known that you've been passionate about for a while or whether it's kind of just being yourself. I mean, really, it's, it's all the same thing. Um, I personally, I think... Um, like as a gay person, we have kind of a very obvious, like society talks about coming out for gay people as like a thing. And it's really obvious when they live their life in the closet and they come out of the closet. Um, but I think something that's not as talked about is the ways in which so many people are kind of living their life in the closet and then they, they have a, a coming out, but it's not labeled that way because, you know, they're not gay. But it, it sounds like essentially you had the same experience coming out of the, the non-gay closet. You were, <laughs> you know, you, you felt like you, you talked about when you were in college and you heard about music therapy and then you kind of put it aside, but you kind of knew something was missing. Um, and then you had that kind of beautiful, cathartic feeling. Can you talk about kind of connected to that? You talked about how, and I think this is something that we don't think about as much, and I think it's it can be more complicated depending upon what society you live in. You said that you realized ultimately the most practical thing was not doing the practical thing. Like for you, it was more practical to follow your heart because you knew you wouldn't be happy or fulfilled otherwise. Um, I think it can be really hard. Um, I mean, you, you live in Canada. You don't live in the U.S. In the U.S., we have a very messed up healthcare system where if you don't have a certain type of job, you will really have a difficult time because it'll be hard for you to take care of yourself physically. So obviously, there are certain practical considerations that exist in the world. But can you talk about how 
in, in the face of all these practical considerations from kind of just survival and also certain things that happened um, in society and your upbringing, the way you grew up, how you knew despite all of that, that for you it was more practical for you to do the impractical thing and follow your heart? Yeah. Um, yeah. First, like, of course, like, I totally understand that, like, Sometimes, depending where people are in their life, they don't have a choice but to follow a path that just gets them the money they need to take care of themselves right away. Mm -hmm. That is, like, very sad and a reality that a lot of people have to face, you know. Um, not everyone is given the opportunity to go after a career that they love just because mm -hmm. um, the reality of the world is we need money to live and sometimes... Mm -hmm taking the easy path is the only way you can do that. So it's definitely something that, um, you know, is hard and finding a balance with that is even harder. So, um, you know, like for me, for example, like just being a musician was something that I wasn't sure would sort of kind of get me that um, groundedness that I needed to just like survive and live and pay rent and all those things. Um, whereas music therapy was something that could fulfill the creativeness that I desired um, and like the practical aspect of money. Um, but I think like sort of what drew me to deciding that for me personally, taking the non-practical option was that was practical, um, as you put. Um, for me, it all kind of came down to mental health. Um, so as a teenager, I really, really struggled with my mental health. I had mm -hmm. uh, super low self-worth. I, you know, I, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety at a young age. It's just, and when I was young, um, I don't think a lot of people really understood because I didn't really have many people around me that had even heard those words in relation to an actual mental illness you know mm -hmm. they think you're just sad yeah. um and some people will get annoyed that you're sad all the time because yep. they don't understand it right mm -hmm. um whereas you know i think now there's a lot more awareness of these things and like you know people are more open-minded about it but as a teenager like i didn't really have like peers around me that understood it mm -hmm. um and in the rare cases where there were some people that like might have also been going through it as well, we were kind of shy and embarrassed to talk about it because it was like a taboo subject. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I started to sort of, it was when I started prioritizing my mental health was sort of when I started prioritizing what I wanted to do in my life to fulfill my mental health needs. Because I think I realized that, like, as far as healthcare needs in general, my mental health needs were what I needed to focus on the most um, because they were the things that were the biggest struggle for me growing up. Um, so I think, realize, like, kind of, there was one point where I, like, was like sort of getting better with my mental health and I was feeling it drop again. And I think that was sort of when I realized that like what I was doing wasn't working, mm. um, you know, because like I got to a point where 
almost like a lot of things in my life were going decently you know like I was grades were doing okay like I had an okay support system um and you know the thing with mental illness is that like a lot of it you know there's biological aspects and social aspects and you know you can be living the happiest life in the world but that doesn't mean your mental health is going to be a hundred percent but I was starting to find things that did make my mental health better and that was always the arts it's always been the arts ever since I was young um and I think the thing that I always turned to when my mental health wasn't doing well was songwriting and music and dance and all those things so for me it really was the practical thing because in a way it kind of saved me and my mental mm -hmm. well-being to go after the things that I really wanted to do um, because if I didn't you know I don't think I ever necessarily would have gotten out of that really dark place um, and uh, I you know I was lucky in the fact that I found kind of a viable career option in the sense that you know it was a recognized term it was mm. um something that was up and coming and um and it also brought me a lot of joy and i i think that's a really hard balance to find and like yeah. um it's really easy to say just kind of go after and do whatever you want when money isn't an issue for you and I think it's important to acknowledge that that's not a reality that a lot of people can chase because a lot of the times those more creative jobs and those more creative um, dreams take time they take longer mm. to fulfill to sort of get there to get recognized and it's wonderful when those do happen but it's uh it's important to acknowledge that not everyone can get there right away um mm -hmm. and uh um, so for me, the reason it was so practical to take this route was because of my health. It's honestly yeah. one of the things that made my own mental health better. Um, so, um, so other people's paths can honestly depend on what they need to prioritize in themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and acknowledging that it's not selfish to prioritize those things. Because I think yeah. that was the biggest um, realization for me, that prioritizing myself wasn't selfish, because that was something that was sort of internalized in me for a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for, for sharing that. I know that was that was very personal. Um, I, I really appreciate that, and I think that it will mean a lot to a lot of people listening. And one, one of the reasons I wanted to ask about, so I think you brought up two very important things. One of those is kind of visibility. A lot of the times we feel very alone until we see another example of, of something, some someone or something that we feel represents us. And, um, and if we don't have that type of representation, it can, it can make us feel like kind of this deep, existential loneliness so thank you for sharing that because I think it will 
make other people feel, help other people feel less alone. I do think like now there's more and more of kind of a discourse around depression and mental health. And now that there is more social media, I think people have more access to that type of information. Um, but I think also hearing kind of uh, someone actually tell a story about that is it helps you feel more connected. Um, so I think that visibility is is really important. And also kind of what you said when you're when your professor in college kind of planted the seed of music therapy. I think until you even knew about the existence of music therapy, your dream couldn't really fully start to manifest or take hold because it didn't have anything really, um, there wasn't, the seed hadn't been planted yet. You didn't even know, it was an unknown, unknown. You didn't know about it. So I think um, kind of the, there's a natural kind of external process to kind of find a sense of, okay, what what exists in the world what what is the full spectrum of possibility for you to be able to manifest that and also kind of feel connected to other people like you and to know that that it's okay to be yourself so i think um i mean this this is one of the reasons i wanted to do this podcast is also to kind of give a sense of visibility around these things so um first of all th thank you very much for sharing i think that that was that was very meaningful thank you trina yeah of course of course yeah um, another thing that I, I wanted to talk about, you talked about kind of um, a lot of different things. And in your moment of depression, we're talking about kind of practicality. I think uh, you talked about kind of when things were kind of going nicer, it was easier for you to kind of maybe think that things were okay, but ultimately you knew it wasn't. Um, I'm not saying that everything bad that happens to someone is a blessing in disguise because certain things are just kind of bad. But I do think that when things get so bad, it does it is kind of a certain wake up call. And and if you never get kind of a wake up call, it's easy to kind of just, you know, delude yourself to kind of just keep running through the motions even though you're not really fulfilled. And I do think these wake up calls are really invitations to kind of look within you and and come to an understanding obviously that depends on you not everyone is going to take the invitation and not everyone is going to look inward um right now we have a major wake-up call for those of us who want to listen with this pandem pandemic <laughs> that we have right now um but i think that um obviously i'm no one wants to go through a spiraling uh, like a difficult depression, but I think that through that you really did understand kind of the urgency of of your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. You understood kind of how that truly is practical, and you understood kind of how these kind of mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological things are manifesting in your body and have kind of a concrete effect on your life. And I think. Um, now hopefully we could we as a world could see how like these things that are happening are all connected and how certain things with the environment are more urgent but i really think that um that as as you as we can hear in your story that sometimes it's through these difficult moments that we have kind of an opportunity to to really see what is important for us to to truly be happy so um so also thank you for sharing that because I think that um, that those wake up calls are difficult, but they're also important for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where I don't know if I would kind of be where I am today if I didn't hit rock bottom. So 
it's uh, one of those things that, of course, it's so difficult to go through and um, nobody should or wants to go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, that kind of wake up call really helped me get where I am today. And I'm sure it's helped a lot of others as well. Mm-hmm. So you talked about kind of a sense of um, of really wanting to help people, of connecting with people. Um and a sense of fulfillment coming from this sense of purpose. And um, I've known you for a really long time, and that's one of the things that kind of always drew me to to you and has made me kind of in- immediately feel connected to you. Um, so I wanted to get to talk a little bit more kind of about the the sense of purpose. And um, you, talked, uh, you talked about um, music, and I think that that's something really beautiful because everyone I think we all innately kind of have a sort of connection to music that that kind of opens us up in a way um and and you were talking earlier about kind of music versus versus kind of more traditional therapy can you talk a little bit about kind of your sense of purpose your connection to music and and how those came together and also how you feel that um, it's it allows you to kind of connect with other people, help other people, and allow them to connect with something deeper and heal themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, traditional therapy can be really great in a lot of ways and, you know, has helped me a lot, has helped a lot of other people. Um, but I think what it comes down to is having other options. Mm-hmm. Um, because with traditional therapy, I think the issue was that it was the only option and not just traditional therapy, but specifically cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the main types of therapy um, used with teenagers specifically. Um, And by no means is it a bad thing. It's just that not every method is going to work with every single person. So for me, I just... I wanted to be part of something that was providing other options for people that didn't feel like what was shown to them was working. Um, There was kind of just like this drive in me out of just not finding resources that I felt were suited to me um, that kind of gave me more of a purpose in not wanting other kids to go through that. Um, you know, I wanted other kids to feel like, hey, here are these slew of options. Like, let me try some, let me try what works for me, what doesn't work for me and find something that at the end of the day, I I feel I really connect with. Um, so that kind of drove like this whole purpose because at my high school, there was, we had guidance counselors, but that was purely for core stuff that wasn't for anything personal. And then we had a single social worker for like a high school of like hundreds and hundreds of kids um, that none of us even knew about. To be Mm -hmm. honest, I didn't even know she existed until (laughs) I I really didn't. I had no idea she existed. Yeah, it's bad. Um, And one person for hundreds of kids, like, you know, like they basically like sent the kids that were in like the most dire situations to her and people, Mm. but like. The thing about mental health is nothing's, 
what's happening to you is terrible because it feels terrible to you. You know, mm-hmm. like there's no degree of, oh, this person has it worse, this person has it worse, you know? Because if it feels horrible to you, that's it. It's horrible to you because it feels mm-hmm. horrible to you. Um, so to have like this huge wait list for this single social worker when hundreds of kids could probably benefit from talking to someone, um, it just like, that's just not a system that um, I was happy existed. Um, and you know, she was great, but she had so much on her plate because she was one person in the school. Um, and the fact that she wasn't even advertised to any of us, like the only reason I found out about her was because I had a mental breakdown in my guidance counselor's office and yeah. she was like, oh, we need to outsource this, you know? Yeah. Um, and That's even the whole when visibility to... thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the thing is like, if I even knew that someone was there for this kind of thing, I think that would have made a world of difference for mm-hmm. me, honestly, because as soon as I knew someone was there, that worked with other kids that were struggling, I was like, oh, like, I'm not the only one. Like, I might not know who these other kids are, but I Mm -hmm. at the very least knew that other kids were struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the thing, visibility, representation, like, those things are huge because, like, once I found out that there was someone there that other kids also talked to, I was like, whoa, like, I'm, this isn't just me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you feel really alone until you get that kind of visibility. Um, but just like realizing how terrible of a system that is, I was like, well, I want to change this, man. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't want to live in a world where it's this hard to get the help you need. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're young, you know, it, it can be very, very daunting. Um, and like, you know, I love my parents. My parents have always been super supportive of me. But as a teenager, we all go through our rebellious parents, like, sorry, our rebellious <laughs> phases. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, talking to my parents about this was the last thing I was going to do at the time. And, you know, maybe I should have, but I didn't. (laughs) And um, I don't think a lot of other kids do as well because, you know, it's daunting. It's daunting Mm -hmm. when you're at that age. Um, So I was just like, you know, there needs to be more resources out there because, like, this this is not okay. Um, And just, like, other things that kind of went on that was sort of accepted. Um and not really considered as a problem. Like, for Mm -hmm. example, um, I had this uh, really kind of terrible math teacher um, in high school, and it's funny, she's kind of like notorious in London, which is a terrible thing to be notorious for. Um, But like, yeah, kids would have breakdowns in her class, breakdowns in guidance counselor's office. Like, she'd got complaint after complaint after complaint because she like, she really harassed and heard a lot of kids at that school but since she was like the head of her department like she couldn't be touched Mm. so things like that that was like just kind of accepted and like a "Mm, yeah it's unfortunate but it's the way it is I was like you know like this is just one person that's hurt so many kids so like how many other stories like this are there Mm -hmm. um so I you know like it's one of those things that like when bad things happen to you, like you just, you don't want those things to happen to anyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, but like one of the things I always found solace in was again, music choir was like my favorite time in the day. Mm -hmm. Like I loved choir. I loved the friends I made in choir. I'm still in touch with loads of them today. Um, it's weird. Cause like, you know, um, I, 
I never thought I'd be still in touch with so many of my high school friends. And I realized that like, it's because of the arts, you know, like we built such a community there and like, you know, that, that kind of understanding like stays with you. Um, so, you know, it was, it was just the thing I could always turn to. So that was sort of like kind of what lit that purpose in me. Cause I was like, I, I don't want this to happen to other kids. Um, and you know, I'm one person, I can't like change the world <laughs> and make every single school be better. But, um, but what I can do is make an impact on the people that I do work with. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that these alternative forms of therapy that are coming out, like what they do at the end of the day is give kids options, give kids um, visibility, have them know that other people are going through this and that they're not alone with it. Um, and they really do build connections because the kind of, you know, we actually talk in therapy a lot about like the connections you build within therapy, whether it be, um, client and therapist connections, connections that group members in therapy build together. Um, it's all about like exploring these connections and exploring yourself within them. Um, and I think art is one of the most incredible ways to do that with because there, there is in a way this little bit of degree of separation, you know, like artists will pour themselves into, for example, a song they write mm. um, and people listening to it, you know, there may be a hundred different interpretations, but at the end of the day, people are connecting to this piece of art. And even if it's not in the exact same way the artist intended it, that's not really the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to be shared and to feel something, mm. you know? So I just think that whole idea is so beautiful. And I think it's always been fascinating to me. Like someone, like five people can listen to the exact same song or read the exact same book and get something completely different from it. Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the most beautiful things about art. Um, it can be interpreted in so many ways. Um, but at the end of the day, the way you're interpreting something is really personal to your own upbringing, your own past, the, own, mm. the, your, the things you're dealing with. Um, there's a reason you are drawn to certain things, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always thought art was so valuable because of that. So, you know, realizing that there was this kind of way to combine those things, like combine promoting mental health with the arts um, was just something that I just, I knew I had to have and I knew I had to mm. do. Um, but it really all stemmed from realizing that there's a problem in our mental health care system and wanting to be more a part of the solution as mm. much a part of it as I can be. Yeah, I, th I think that's so important and I think, um in order for something to really, I think, to have a true sense of purpose with something, it has to kind of really matter to you and you have to feel it in kind of a visceral way. Otherwise, kind of, I don't know, if you're kind of just doing something because, oh, like I want to get a lot of money or I want to be successful or I want to be famous or whatever, that might seem like a good motivating factor, but in the long run, kind of like what you're saying about th what's practical for you versus the world. It's, it's not going to be sustainable and it's not going to be kind of 
true enough to really carry you through all the ups and downs on the road because we all know as 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 we can see in the world today there are going to be lots of ups and downs so i think <laughs> i i think what you said about purpose and and where and and f- having a a a personal and deep experience of your own and not wanting that to happen i think is is a crucial part of of really feeling moved to do something um so again thank thank you for sharing that that was beautiful yeah of course <laughs> And I also love what you said about music. I think, um, I think music is, and art, as you said, in general, is a really nice way to connect with someone, and especially people who are in really difficult situations because they are kind of so universal. And as you said, um, I loved what you said about, you know, the same song can, um, can people can connect with it so many different ways based on kind of their background, um, how they grew up, different experiences they've had. And um, I think that's the beauty of music and art because if you go to kind of maybe more of a traditional type of therapy session where someone is kind of talking at you, they kind of have this very specific role and, um, and kind of these very defined boundaries, whereas everyone feels some kind of, and, and it's more kind of intellectual, whereas everyone has kind of a visceral connection to art, whether or not, um, whether or not they, it's, it's just an automatic kind of reaction that comes from within them. So um, they're going to connect with something one way or another, and it's kind of like breaking down those roles, breaking down those barriers, and really drawing people in and kind of inviting people in in kind of a more gentle way. Um, you talk about kids. I always find like kids are all kids don't know about all these rules in society. They're so alive. They kind of just like go with what they feel. And I think a lot of the times like art awakens that that child, that kind of pure kind of emotion and spirit within us. And I think for that reason, it is a really nice way to to heal us because it does bring us back more to to our essence. And and you um, have had these beautiful feelings of connection, whether it was in choir, whether it's in music therapy, whether it's um, when you perform. So um, I think it's a wonderful way to connect with and, and heal people. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it is really amazing. And I think it's been interesting sort of seeing, I guess, how things have changed um, since I was young and how much more open people are now to talk about, you know, mental health and how different things affect it. Um, I, I did a talk at my old high school, actually, in the music department. Um, mm. And the purpose of that talk was to give information about music therapy as like a career option, because it's still, you know, it's getting more well known now, but it's still, a, mm. you know, not everybody knows what it is. Um, but it was interesting, because the majority of questions I ended up getting from that talk were about how these kids could go see a music therapist, mm. rather than how to become one. Yeah. So I think that was like a really big like wow like this is yeah. this is something people need. No, definitely it is something that people need, um, and it's something that I think um, that you know a lot of the times we don't know that we need it, um, but I think as you saw from the talk, more more and more people now know that they need it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're finding out, they're realizing. Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about two things that are kind of like 
dis separate and connected in a way, um, but things that you kind of mentioned earlier. And one of them is that your your journey to to realize that it's not selfish to take care of yourself and to um, to look after yourself and sometimes put yourself first. And I think um, I love to kind of hear what what you what you feel about this because. Um, in my experience and kind of like, um, you know, my experience coming out and kind of your, what you mentioned about kind of the moment that you started to really do what you felt moved to do and you felt this weight was lifted off of you and you felt kind of more fulfilled. I feel that when you are living a more realized life and maybe maybe you need to do certain, quote, selfish things to, to be able to get to that space, that is ultimately kind of better for the world. You feel more realized. You're like a happier, more joyful person. You can let your light into the world in a different way. Because I think you were talking about that notorious teacher who was so cruel to all these kids. And my guess is this woman is just someone who's deeply unhappy. And she's just someone who feels trapped. She's just someone who is not able, feels like she can't do what she wants in life. And she probably doesn't want to be this way, but I think she just feels kind of stuck in her life. And I think that is a perfect example of why actually being, quote, selfish and taking care of yourself is actually not selfish, because then we don't perpetuate this awful energy that's negatively affecting so many people in life. So I kind of just like kind of talked at you and gave kind of my feelings on that. But can you maybe kind of, I don't know, share how maybe some differences in kind of the relationships that you talked also about community. This is another thing that I wanted to talk about. But um, can you talk a little bit about maybe kind of differences that you felt in your relationships once you started living kind of a truly realized life or maybe people who you've come into contact with who you felt were kind of more awake, alive, and, and how that made you feel? Well, it's so interesting. So, like, RuPaul's famous quote, if you don't mm. love yourself, how the hell are you going to love everyone else? And, like, honestly, Amen. It, is, <laughs> it is so true, though. Like, yeah. mm. <laughs> it really is. Because, yeah. like, yeah. the thing is, um, you know, I my relationships with friends with family got so much better when i started loving myself and mm. loving what i do and loving who i am you know um and when i did it like you could tell like the thing is it's like i mean little trita tried her darndest to hide it but like you could tell <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. yep you know um when you're not living your life as authentically and as 100% you, it comes out in certain ways. Mm. Um, you know, what you were saying about the teacher I mentioned, we talk a lot in therapy about like, you know, radical empathy and like mm. really understanding like um, the things people have gone through to get to where they are. Um, and like, when I was younger, I was just angry at her. But as I mm. grew up, I was like, you know, she's probably a deeply unhappy person. You know, maybe she wanted to do something else with her life and she didn't get to do it. And now she's taking it out on people who don't deserve it. Um, mm. And that's yeah. what happens. Like when you're deeply unhappy, you start taking it out. Sometimes unintentionally, I will say. Like it's mm. not always intentional. 
Um, but you will start taking it out on people that care about you. You know, I, I got in a lot of arguments with my mom and dad when I was in high school and like, you know, they, they were really confused sometimes because mm -hmm. I was like kind of a ticking time bomb and it came out of nowhere, you know? I mean, to uh, be fair, you were a teenager. I don't think that came uh, yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. I was a yeah. teenager. I mean, what did they expect? <laughs> yeah, honestly, honestly. Um, yeah, we laugh about it now, like for sure. Um, like some of the things we just laugh about when I realize, yeah, my mother was 100% right and I didn't listen mm -hmm. to her. You know, we all go through those things. But that's the other thing. Someone can tell you something and if you're not in the right moment of your life, you can't really hear it. Kind of, you talked about this a little bit earlier with kind of people planting the seeds, but until you're really at a, at a moment in your life where you're really able to receive it, maybe kind of something about you stores it away somewhere else. You kind of subconsciously know it's important. But um, like kind of what, what you say with music, people connect with it on the level that they're at. They're not going to be able, maybe they won't connect with it as deeply as, as some other person, but kind of you, you can kind of take in messages, energies, um, on the level that you're at. And, you know, at the time you weren't ready to hear what your mom had to say and, and now you are, and that's fine. Yeah. Life is a windy road. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, just, um, you gotta kind of want help to be able to accept it and to be able to get the help you need, you know? Mm. So I wasn't really able to go to a therapist until I realized that I wanted to get better. Um, mm. And uh, part of that comes with, again, being your true self, right? You know, um, I almost got to a point where like being sad was part of my identity, if that makes mm. sense. Like I just yeah. kind of thought it was who I am, um, which it isn't like it's a struggle, like mental illness is a struggle, but it's not who you are. Um, so it's really one of those things where like, my relationships just improved immensely once I started like living as myself fully in a hundred percent and you know like it's never gonna be perfect we're all gonna have like voices in our heads and like thinking about what other people think of us here and then but you know as long as that's not the majority of what comes up I think that's what's most important because like when I started just kind of doing what I wanted and um, being selfish, you know, mm -hmm. being like, you know, I want to transfer schools two years into my program because mm -hmm. I'm not happy here. And I did. And I became much happier, you know, yeah. like it's just and, and I realized that, too, like not that I didn't make friendships at um, Queens, which is where I started my first two years, but um I think I'm actively only in touch with like one or two people I met there. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that's not to say that there were bad people. It's just one of those things that if I wasn't fully myself, how did I expect to meet people that I was, you know, mm -hmm. fully compatible yeah. with and would fully understand? Because I wasn't fully myself. So right. if I'm not giving 100%, then I'm not going to get 100% back. Yeah. Um, whereas 
you know, I met my now like best friend at Laurier, which is where Mm -hmm. I transferred to. And, you know, I met a lot of people that I just connected with. And part of a huge part of that wasn't the people. It was the fact that I was allowing people to be let in. Um, I was being more vulnerable, but I was also being more selfish. And I think um, both of those kind of go hand in hand. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, I mean, I use the term selfish, even though I don't believe it's selfish to put yourself first. I was going to say that. that. You know, you know what I mean. I was going to say that, Trina. We don't need the word selfish. We, we don't we, need the word selfish. We can no. take it out. I, I, I truly feel that it's really just kind of being honest with ourselves. but unfortunately we live within the context of, you talked about people pleasing, and I, um, and are, I myself am a recovering people pleaser. Um, <laughs> and I think when you live in a people pleasing society that's very based on appearances, I think we throw the word selfish around when really... Um, I think it's really just about being honest with yourself about kind of what what you really like. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep your what you're saying no, was wonderful, no, no. but but we don't need the word selfish. No, I'm glad you did because it brings me to the point that I'm not like a hundred percent perfect with it yet. You know, like yeah. I know what my values are, I know what I believe, but I'm gonna slip up sometimes, and mm-hmm. that's kind of just the reality. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, as long as you're trying to be yourself a hundred percent, like you're going to bring people into your life by accident, by chance, um, that, you know, love you for that a hundred percent and give you their hundred percent. And, uh, um, it's really incredible, like kind of how my support system has shifted since I've done that. Um, and since I've like really put my all into my friendships and my relationships and myself, my relationship with myself, because I don't think we talk a lot about how, when we talk about relationships, we don't always talk about relationships Mm -hmm. with ourselves because that's just as important, you know? Um, So figuring that out, figuring yourself out, I think is honestly such a big part of, fulfillment because when we talk Mm. about fulfillment it's always in career and don't get me wrong I I love what I chose to do but my career isn't all of me um, and it shouldn't be all of anybody um so yeah at the end of the day like RuPaul said it I I can't say it better (laughs) than RuPaul RuPaul said it RuPaul said it (laughs) Trina said it we we all said it (laughs) No, yeah. No, I, I think it's just so universal so that, yes, that that's why people keep saying that thing that RuPaul said. I'm sure, like, some philosopher said it 3,000 years ago as well. Um, but, no, I think what you said is, is so beautiful. And um, it actually is a perfect – you kind of already started talking about community. But there, there are a few kind of interconnected things that I wanted to get to. Um, one of the things is kind of – I think it's so true, depending upon what society you grew up in, a lot of the times there is this idea that your career is the most important thing and it needs to be the source of all your fulfillment. Um, Right now I live in Argentina and that is so clearly not the case. It's much more of a collectivist, um, community-based kind of um, uh, culture uh, and people are generally more artistic. And something that kind of struck me that you talked about kind of at the beginning of um, our conversation is 
all of your different dreams. So you had this dream for kind of your career with music therapy, but then you talk about all these different areas of your life that you do art in and kind of this sense of purpose that you have as well. And you like baking and all these other things. Um, here, I find it very similar where people might, someone might have kind of a practical job in IT, but then they go home and paint or someone might be a banker and then they go home and they write. So can you talk about kind of all of these kind of the holistic sense of fulfillment in, in your, in your life and how, um, while obviously you do feel this sense of purpose in music therapy and, and you also, you've also found a very beautiful way to kind of connect, um, art and connecting with people to something that can, you know, make money and give you healthcare, which is always nice. Um, <laughs> so, so you were able to like make that practical, um, but can you also talk about kind of these other ways of finding fulfillment and also kind of, um, you, you sort of alluded to this with community, how community is a big part of fulfillment and also how community, you, rec you can't truly find your community until you find yourself. So I don't know, can you talk about all these different types of fulfillment um, outside of what one's quote career? Well, that's the thing. I feel like we live in such a career focused world and like it's okay to just do things that you love because you love them mm. like it's okay to do something and make no money from it but you love it like that doesn't mean it was a waste of time mm. you know like i i write songs all the time that i'm not going to professionally record i play around on instruments i you know i choreograph things that i don't film you know like it's it's okay to um it's okay to enjoy something and have it just be enjoyment and nothing else. Like, I think we have a very, like we live in a society that, like you said, is very individualistic. Um, and I feel like a collectivist mindset kind of leaves more room to just doing things you love because you love them, mm -hmm. even if, it doesn't make money even if the purpose of it isn't for your career um, and you can find those things separately but it's okay mm. to just be like you know I'm a banker during the day and I do drag shows at night you know like yeah. that's yeah. fine you know there's there's nothing wrong with that I met that um, person <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. yeah Trina, I have to say, I, I, you just inspired me. You just get, help give me a revelation. I think really what it comes down to, you talked about the idea of giving yourself permission to do things just for the pure joy of it. And really, um, it comes down to us thinking of ourselves as, you know, there are all these dating apps out there and, and social media. And in all of these, you have your profile and you construct this kind of like perfect view of how you want to present yourself to the world. And really what it comes down to is we're, we think of ourselves, at least in certain societies, as profiles. We don't think of ourselves as humans. So if we don't think of ourselves as humans, we don't allow ourselves to do things for the joy of it. We don't allow ourselves to do things for like the purpose of it just being kind of the, the feeling that we feel moved to do it in itself. So really... I think we, the first step one is realize, look in the mirror and realize that you're a human and step <laughs> two, do what you feel moved to do, whether or not it will look good on social media. It's <laughs> no, truly. I mean, like, 
I feel like the first thing people say when, like, tell me about yourself or, you know, small talk, they have been immediately go to their career, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, we've... It's so, like, I... That's so wild, like, just thinking about that idea of viewing ourselves as profiles rather than people. Because, like, it's so true. Like, you tick the, this is what I do. Like, this is what, you know, like, it's just, it's important to realize that you are more than how you make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are more than what your public persona says you are. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we all... Everyone who participates in social media, whether we say we're as authentic as possible, um, and you know, maybe we are, but we can't deny that there, there is a persona that we're putting into it. There is a way we want to be presented to the world um, and to our friends and to our family um, online. So, you know, I think to have these things is okay. But it is important to realize that you are not defined by those things and that there's like so much more going into you because people are complex and people have layers like ogres are like onions. I just... just... (laughs) (laughs) What about cakes, Trina? What about parfaits? I just had to throw in you that reference as soon yeah. as I said it. Yeah, of course. How can you not? No, can, can you say that again for like the Generation Z and like the kids growing up now? I think I think they need to know that they are that they're people and and that social media is not real life. Or maybe they know it more than we do. But I think it's it's really an important reminder for, no. for everyone. It, it is. It is true. Like, you are more than who you appear to be on social media. And um, it's, you know, uh, we learned a little bit in psychology how, like, you are constantly comparing yourselves to, um, to people on social media. But, like, you have to understand that just like you're only putting out your highlights, so are other people. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can't compare your worst moments to someone's best moments and you shouldn't be comparing to others at all because Mm -hmm. your journey is not theirs um so you know at the end of the day like yes there is a way we present ourselves to the world but you always have to remind yourself that that's not all of you and there's always so so much more to you Mm -hmm. um and be okay with that be okay with the fact that only your close friends and family and um, people you've chosen to be in your life are gonna know all of you and the real you be okay with that and um, make sure that you know who that is Mm -hmm. as well make sure that you don't think you're just a persona make sure that you know that there's more to you I think that's so important honestly I'm um I'm 30 now and I feel like I'm only just now understanding that because okay we grew up in a time that where there where there wasn't always social media but we still had kind of a very specific way that we presented ourselves in society at least you know in the culture that I grew up in and I'm only now re- like starting to come to terms with okay like I think even if you you truly love yourself and even if you you like like the person you are and kind of the essence of who you are, I think sometimes you can still like forget that you aren't 
this this way that you present yourself. So I think that that what you said is is so important. And I also think what you said about kind of you look at all these people on social media and you compare yourself to them. And it's not even about kind of comparing their best to your worst, but it's even just like comparing the things that they value and the things that they want, because it's so easy to kind of get swept up and say, oh my God, this person is living in this cool city. They have this cool job. They have all these great things going on in their life. Like, why don't I have those? And then you realize, well, actually, I don't want those things. But then you get swept up in their social media accounts, and then you forget what you actually want because you're just seeing it um, all around you all the time. So I think what you said about, you know, don't compare yourself to people, not just because of, like, how pretty and how good things things can look, but also because it can you know, just like, I don't want to say distract you, but it can also, you can lose yourself in it sometimes and forget like who you are and what you actually want. Yeah, I love that. The whole, it might not even be what you want thing. Like I've Mm. definitely been guilty of that. Like, you know, seeing, um, seeing musicians with their New York pictures and I'm like, oh, that would be such a fun life. Like, I wish I had. I was like, no, I don't want to live in New York. Like, not, I yeah, never exactly. want to live in New York. <laughs> right? You, know? you have to, like, take a step back and be like, wait, I don't want that life. Exactly. No. <laughs> Isn't that the funny thing? I've totally done that before. Like, when I was living in Boston, I'd be like, oh, my God, my friends are having, like, going to these amazing coffee shops in New York and, like, doing all these cool things. And I was like, wait. I at no point in my life ever wanted to live in New York. How am I like being jealous of this thing that I don't even want? Like what is that? Yeah. It's wild. It's a wild realization that I think is so important to kind of step back and (laughs) realize. But it's so funny, you know, like I think we all do it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, reminding yourself what is it you want because yeah, you're being jealous of things you don't even want. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just remembering, we've, we've gone like all over the place today, which I think is just, you know, I think it's perfect because life goes, goes all over the place, but ultimately it's all connected. Um, but I wanted to come back, we, we started talking about community and you kind of alluded to it a number of times. And I think that, you know, it's a nice thing to come back to because we are in this time of social distancing. Um, we talked about social media and like so many things are digital now for for obvious reasons. So can you talk a little bit about, okay, we talked about finding fulfillment in different areas outside of our career. Um, and we talked about kind of looking inward and kind of understanding who we are. Can you talk about, we, we also talked about kind of societies, some are like more collectivist and some are more individualistic. Um, we both grew up in kind of the US and Canada, which are more individualistic cultures. But you also, we also grew up kind of in a more distinct community within those cultures that has have slightly different values um, that are a little bit more, um, that value community more. Can you talk a little bit about kind of based on kind of how you grew up, the society and everything, and also kind of the focused on career, how you found your way into community and how um, you realized that community was something important to you and how you found the community that was um, that was right for you. Yeah, so it's interesting because, like, you know, I grew up in an Indian household, and 
India definitely has a very collectivist culture, but they're also very career oriented, you know? Mm. Um, I think people often assume that if it's a collectivist culture, they won't have a career oriented mindset, but mm-hmm. that's not always the case. No. Um, so I definitely grew up with really strong community, you know, like, um, it's like, I swear the Indians just find each other in any city they they're in. They Actually, really find each other. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Like, um, and I love that. Like, I think it's great. Um, and again, it art is a huge part of the culture in India as well. Like, you know, like everybody sings. Like, everybody sings. It's, it's mm. just a thing you do. Um, you know, ever, so many people dance. Like, it's just art is so inherent to the culture. Life is the, the Bollywood time, movie. Yeah, literally. Um, you can't go to like an Indian potluck without song getting broken into by the end of it. Like it just happens. It's, mm. And it's something that was like so normal to me um, and is still so normal to me. Um, but uh, it's interesting because at the same time, like even though art is so inherent to the culture, um, career and art are still considered very separate from each other Mm. um you know um which kind of like brings us full circle to the whole practicality thing but like you know art even though it's a huge part of indian culture i found growing up at least it was still always talked about as a hobby more than um a career and Mm. um and not that that's a bad thing you know like it's totally fine to have things that you do that aren't monetary at all like that's totally fine if that's what you want um but it's it was just kind of interesting like seeing that growing up you know career was very separate from anything that was sort of artistic um but um I just you know you notice things growing up like I noticed how big of a community we had and how music was so inherently part of that community Mm. like you know we literally have sing-alongs at our family gatherings Mm. like i don't know how else to describe them but like one person starts singing the song and everyone joins in like it's just it's part of what you do and it bonds you and Mm. um there's something so comforting about it like you know i grew up listening to my mom sing around the house all the time um and i it was interesting like the things that just seemed so normal to me that like weren't to other people Mm. um like for example listening to indian music in the car was just it's the thing we did Mm -hmm. um and then like kind of growing up and realizing like some mean people thought that was weird thought Mm -hmm. like you know cultural music was weird um so like i started kind of grappling with this like i don't know like identity crisis in a way because like um part of me was like embarrassed of my own culture because other people made fun of me for it you know um which was so wild because like I'm so proud of it now like I Mm. I still do Indian dance and Indian choreography and like all that but like it was definitely a journey um and parts of it were like were hard um and I think uh it's kind of okay to come to that realization. There's a really interesting, I don't know if you've seen Never Have I Ever on Netflix. Um, I, 
I'm I can't remember, but tell me. Wait, is it the one in with the uh, Indian girl in LA? Um, no, she. Well, she's from Toronto. I don't remember where it takes place, but uh, it's Mindy Kaling produced it. Um, tell but, me about uh, it. Yeah, so it's just one scene that like really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that basically, so the main girl is in high school, um, and she's going to like this Indian gathering that they booked out her high school to do, which is so funny because we did that all the time when we were <laughs> Indian gatherings at like schools and like churches mm-hmm. <laughs> and like stuff. So I thought that was kind of funny because like, yeah, that is genuine. We have done that. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because like she, uh, she uh, sees a friend of hers who's in university and came mm-hmm. back home for this. Um, and she was like, like, why would you come back home for this? And she, he was like, well, I missed it. And she's like, why would you miss this? Like, it's so embarrassing. And I I think it was kind of like a really interesting dichotomy because I definitely went through that too, where like, Mm. I almost felt embarrassed about it. Like, I didn't want someone to see me in a sari. I didn't want someone to see me in Indian clothes in general. Mm. But then when I left and I didn't have these events attend, like I missed it. And when I came back, like I looked forward to it and I was excited about it and I started embracing my culture more. Um... So it was, I don't know, it was almost a similar journey in the sense of like, you know, you're going through life thinking something's normal and then suddenly you're self-conscious about it and then you have to refine that love for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I went on a bit of a tangent. No, I love tangents. I love it. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. But anyways, all that to say is that... Um, I did, yes, I grew up in Canada, which is a very individualistic culture, but I had a lot of community and a lot of collectivism around me growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, music, again, was a part of my life, both culturally and socially and in so many ways. Um, And, you know, when it comes to my career, like I've been exploring like Indian music therapy, like music therapy using ragas and things like that. I've been very interested in doing research on um but yeah it's one of those things where like the communities we grow up in really shape us and I think as we grow up we kind of become more thankful for like the little things that we again maybe considered normal that weren't normal to others but then Mm. once you kind of realize that it's like it was special and it's something that um you hold on to and like you know I never really forgot about those experiences and obviously because of COVID we're not um having many of those gatherings right Mm. now but I I genuinely you know enjoy my time at them and I think when you're younger it's okay to have that bit of a cultural identity crisis um (laughs) and it happens and um but like it's important to, I think, acknowledge where you came from um, and also acknowledge, you know, like every culture has their own set of things maybe you agree with and maybe you don't agree with. And um, it's okay to acknowledge that, but still appreciate it. Um, so I think like I really, that sort of helped me sort of develop a bit of a balance between 
um, pursuing things that were important to me while also always trying to maintain that sense of community um, Mm. with friends, with family, um, and like-minded people. And, you know, like joining Indian dance teams in like university and stuff was really important to me because like I think... I got to like a weird age in that I had like graduated from dance and then once you graduate they're like okay like go off into the world and you're like where? (laughs) (laughs) There is no world if I'm not dancing. (laughs) No really like it's like once you're done lessons you're like like what do I do now? (laughs) What more is there to yeah to experience (laughs) in life? Yeah. Um but no, it got more about exploring, exploring genres that I hadn't necessarily done as much work in and, you know, finding other types of dance styles, um, both Indian and non-Indian. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's definitely been something that I've sort of realized has sort of shaped me, like to put myself first when I need to be put first. Um, mm. But to also really acknowledge the things that have got to me where I am, be humble, be grateful, like for the people in my life and like always really strive to find community wherever I can. Um, And, you know, just hear from other people and hear their stories. And uh, um, I think those can be really powerful. I, uh, um, at Concordia, we had us um, specifically for the creative arts therapies, we had a students of color association. Mm. Um, and it was just a really nice place to sort of just like talk to people with similar experiences as you again, build a community and like just like understand where struggles lie, where they don't lie, where um, you know how your upbringings are similar or different, and like how there's diversity within diversity and like, you know, Mm. no two people of the same culture are the same. Um, And like, you know, having that space was was really great for me during my time in grad school Um, and just kind of made me reinstill those values of, you know, like I always want to make sure like I remember where I come from and I always want to strive to create community and find community where I can without Mm. um taking away from the fact that I can still like be my own person within that and both of those things are possible I love that um I love so many things you said I think I really like what you said about finding community where you can because I I feel like the world is in a very kind of divided place today where people are very just quick to want to win arguments and kind of shut other people down, whether it's because they they just feel that they are different or because um, depending upon what what kind of political structure your society is like, maybe you are in like a very bipartisan political system where you feel like you have to say something to appeal to certain groups of people. So I think that it is people sometimes are, are scared to connect with others if they don't immediately see kind of an obvious connection. But I think that that's part of why I, another reason I want to have this podcast is because I feel that um, when we truly take time to listen to people and to hear other people's stories um, and go kind of beyond the surface, beyond the social media profile, beyond their appearance, 
then we start to realize, oh, this person, like, I didn't initially think that I could relate to them, but we have a lot of shared experiences in this way, or they struggled with the same thing that I did when I was younger, or they didn't feel like they belonged either, or um, even more superficial things. But um, I think that just trying, just kind of holding that space to connect with people where you can is something um, I think that that is very beautiful. And um, earlier you said, like, you're just one person, like, you can't, like, like, do everything for the world. But I think that seems like a very simple thing, but it is a very powerful thing. And I think the world really needs to, needs more connection. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we talk about in therapy that like, you know, we're going to have all sorts of different clients. We're going to have people that from all walks of life, sometimes we're going to have people that we disagree with completely. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about holding that space to be able to build a connection and be able to build an understanding and, you know, like support them in whatever goals they might have to be there in that space. And, um, I think self-expression um, through people is a really powerful way to do that. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, Trina, I have to say, you've left me speechless. I don't really have anything else to ask you. We've gone on this beautiful journey with all these ups and downs. We've we've talked about kind of difficulties growing up, kind of feelings of uh, loneliness. We've talked about visibility, kind of understanding um, who we are, community, so many things. What what haven't we talked about? We we've really we've done it all. <laughs> um, so now I wanted to ask you. Um, I've been asking all the questions. Is there anything that you wanted to to share um, with with our listeners today? Um, I think the main thing I want to share is just be patient with yourself and be patient with your dreams because nothing is ever going to be a straight road um and you know you're gonna come across many ups and downs and it's okay to not have it all figured out Mm. um and it doesn't matter how old you are when you don't have that figured out you know you could be in your 40s and have no idea what you're doing and that's Mm. okay you know like it's important to just acknowledge that um growth is a process and loving yourself is a process and there's many ups and downs to that and as long as you know that you're going to get there and it's going to be in your own way that's what matters in the end that's beautiful i love it life is a winding road as i think we can all see now um and yes, we're, we're all human. Please don't forget it. Um, be patient with yourself. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to say thank you again. Um, we have gone on an emotional roller coaster. Thank you for thank you for joining the ride. Thank you for opening yourself up. Um, it really meant a lot to me. I think it'll mean a lot to people listening in. So thank you so much for being here, Trina. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. No, I'm happy to hear that. 
Well, we'll have we'll have to talk more often. We 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 um, obviously I would love to have you back on the podcast sometime. But let's let's talk sometime, but without the podcast too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm let's, more than happy to. <laughs> let's make it happen. Oh well, it was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for being here, and we'll talk sometime soon. Thank you. Take care, Shana. Bye. Bye. We just spoke with Trina Chakrabarty. As you can probably tell, I had a wonderful time chatting with her, laughing with her, going through the full spectrum of human emotions. It was it was absolutely a joy. Um, I also feel that I learned a lot, and I'm hoping that you learned a lot as well. There's there are two things that I want to highlight, and really they're they're kind of all the same thing, and it's kind of the why behind your dreams like where are they coming from and i want to talk about dreams motivated by a sense of purpose and also the idea of being a people pleaser and maybe doing things because um, you're trying to make other people happy in my personal experience and also in trina's experience that we've heard about in this episode her sense of purpose for her dream wanting to help teenagers with their mental health that came from her own, um, from her own personal experiences, her own struggles with depression. In my experience, when I have been doing something similar, when I've been trying to pursue a dream, and it wasn't really motivated by something that truly came from within me, and that really mattered to me in a visceral way, um, those are the dreams that I wasn't able to continue with. At the first sign of a challenge, those are the dreams that I ended up letting go of. And I realized that those were normally dreams that I was doing because I thought that they would look cool on social media, that, um, that I was doing to make my parents happy. So really, ultimately, in, in being able to stick with dreams, um, they really need to come from within you. And normally, they're also motivated by a sense of purpose and something that, that's truly personal. Um, I was very touched by Trina opening up on all of these types of, um, all of her struggles with depression and mental health. I think that it's something that we're finally able to talk about now, and I'm happy that now there's a lot more discourse about this, and there's much more of a sense of community. Um, I'm hoping that this podcast is also a space where people can talk about all the the ups and downs that they're facing in life on the way to realizing their dreams and also just becoming a fully realized version of themselves really the version of themselves that that's already there that they just haven't quite discovered yet so thank you for for being with us on this journey today i hope you enjoyed i hope you learned something i wanted to take a moment to say that season one is drawing to a close there will be one more episode after this in season one. I've had a wonderful time chatting with all of our guests. I've learned, I've laughed, I've felt a lot of um, intense emotions, and um, I, I hope you enjoy the, the final episode coming in two weeks. Take good care. Bye.